Welcome back to Booze and Buffy, a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel, one by one. We will be spoiler-free for details of future episodes, but spoiler warning for any episodes that we've discussed in the past. I'm Jason, and just who was that British guy? Mm-hmm. And I'm Harrison, and I've also been in Virginia. Um, it's not sure if I've actually been to Virginia. Jason, what episode are we watching today? Harrison, we are watching Angel Season 2, Episode 6, the very well-titled Guys Will Be Guys. And I'd say that the episode is about as clever as that mm-hmm. title, because guys, as I mentioned in, at the end of our last episode, guys is spelled out G-U-I-S-E. Yes. So, it's great. This oh, is like the one... A disguise. Yeah, you knew that. <laughs> this is the one where, uh, while Angel is off seeking the advice of a swami, uh... Wesley decides to take up a job disguised as Angel. Would you say he decides to or is forced to at gunpoint and then decides to? Well, I mean, (laughs) he could have broken off the charade um, at any point. Uh, And, you know, maybe before he got into Virginia. But (laughs) uh, but we'll talk about that. Uh, guys Will Be Guys was written by Jane Espenson. Yay! Yay! Uh, that's the good news. The bad news is this is uh, Jane's last episode that she writes for Angel. Um, Damn. Yeah, she's still... Don't worry. We'll have Jane throughout the rest of the run of Buffy. Right, and that might be one of the reasons why yeah. she be, probably became like a lot more integral to Buffy. Yes. Um, and this is a, uh, her second one. The first one she wrote for Angel was Room with a View. Um... So, yeah, Jane is less involved on Angel, which isn't surprising. And it was directed by Krishna Rao. Um, new name. Uh, and it's the only time you'll hear it on the podcast because this is the only episode he directed of the show. Uh, this episode originally aired on November the 7th in the year 2000. In the year 2000! <laughs> uh, we're so close to the end of the year 2000. Mm-hmm. All right. Jason, would you allow me to tell our listeners what we're drinking this week? I mean, you don't need my permission. (laughs) Uh, We are drinking martinis. Um, We actually, for the first, like, time, uh, had a lot of options today. (laughs) uh, John did a run to Total Wine earlier this week and, like, bought a bunch of different things. So we have cocktail options. This episode brought to you by Total Wine. Uh, (laughs) Listen, Total Wine's great. Um, and then when I was like, make us an interesting cocktail and John asked what I wanted, I panicked and just went martini because it was the only one I could think of. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So yeah, we have martinis with, um, uh, uh, lemon, um, God, what the fuck do you call this? Um, lemon twist. Yeah. But like, what's, what's the general term for like, um, Garnish. Oh, okay. Garnish. Um, because apparently... Well, I didn't want an olive at all, but apparently the olives were moldy. Which, how does that even happen? I don't know. You think they're sitting that juice and it, like, 
preserve them, but ugh, apparently not. Apparently not. Well, Jason, why don't you take us away on a toast? Um, yeah, well, we, uh, we are recording this on a Thursday, on a Wednesday. Jesus. <laughs> Days of the week are hard. I've been struggling with them <laughs> real bad. We're um, recording this on a Wednesday because I spent all of Monday thinking it was Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fun text to get because I was like wondering all of Monday, why hasn't he texted me about this? Normally he would set up like, hey, let's record. But uh, this past Monday was uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, Mm -hmm. and uh, here is to the people who do not use Martin Luther King Jr. quotes to justify their horrible, horrible legislation, aka, if you're not a Republican, you don't do that. Uh, but yeah, so basically, uh, screw all the Republicans that uh, misused mm-hmm. MLK quotes. Yes. And, you know, some token Democrats, too. That's true. <sighs> Christian cinema. It's a... A rant started to erupt for me, and I was like, we don't... No. We, we... we don't have time for that. Yeah. We gotta talk about this episode. So, um, before we... Before we get into the fun stuff, do we w- want to address the serious stuff real quick? Yeah, um, just this week, uh, a um, Joss Whedon, uh, name that we don't like to say too much because we don't want to give him a lot of credit for, yeah. because he's, he's a bad man. Yeah. And uh, he recently did a, an interview with um, Hollywood Reporter. Uh, I don't know because I went out of my way to not go to the actual article because I did not want it to give it my clicks. And yeah, I, reading. I, I saw a report yeah. about the article. Yeah, But anyway, he did an interview where he addressed the claims that have been put forth by several people that have worked with him, most prominently Charisma Carpenter, mm-hmm. Ray Fisher, and Gal Gadot. And uh, needless to say, he said all the wrong things oh at... And uh, at one point saying that uh, um, Gal Gadot did not get his jokes because English is not her first language. And I'm like, wow, dude. Right. How can you write such good stuff in like in your TV shows, but say dumb shit like that? Um, Yeah. And uh, Charisma... Ray Fisher and uh, well, I don't know if I saw a response from Gal Gadot, but I don't know if I did um, either. But yeah, Charisma Carpenter and Ray Fisher, like obviously like the the two people that have been probably the most upfront about this poor treatment, uh, were very much like, yeah, guy's an asshole, and that is not an apology in any way yeah. because he didn't apologize. He didn't. It's not. It's um, what was frustrating about it. Unfortunately, not shocking, though, is it's been about a year since Charisma made her statement. Yeah. And over a year since Ray Fisher has, has been talking about it. And Whedon has been silent that whole time. He has not addressed it at all. And, you know, one would hope if you spend a year, over a year, you know, after this stuff has come out, not addressing it, not talking about it publicly, like, one would hope that maybe you spent that year doing some soul searching, maybe going to some therapy, you know, maybe reaching out and 
attempting to make amends and atone for your actions. And instead, nope, it would just double down, blame everyone else for your shitty behavior. And yeah, if you guys are unfamiliar with the term gaslighting, this is it in real time. Yeah, it's it's disappointing. It's not shocking. Um, but it is disappointing. Um, and so I guess, you know, I don't want to dwell on it too long. We went into, um, also actually this was being discussed on a very lighthearted episode, uh, of season four when charisma state, uh, statements were first made, which was something blue. Um, yeah. so I guess whenever we have a real fun episode, uh, Joss Whedon has to ruin it. <laughs> um, so if you want to hear more, uh, longer thoughts, check out our episode on Something Blue and then enjoy our episode on Something Blue. It was so fun. Um, yeah, rewatch Something Blue as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, just shitty dudes of the world. You can be better. Yeah. Um, and yes, I am aware that there are shitty women, but I am addressing my statement specifically to the shitty dudes. Because um, I, I do I do not believe that anyone is... Uh, we're talking about fucking Angel. I don't believe there's anyone who is beyond redemption. But you don't just get it. You have to earn it. And Yeah, and you can... Uh... At this point, we might not be beyond redemption, but it is a journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, any final Joss Whedon thoughts before we... <laughs> not really. I'm ready to talk about some Talk about stuff. Jane. Talk about Wesley. Yeah. Um, let's start off talking about Wesley because... Uh, and hey, it's not. it doesn't feel very often that we get a Wesley episode, despite the fact that the cast is pretty small. Yeah. <laughs> Compared to what it will become. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Good old Wesley is doing some uh, is doing some filing and uh, tries to open the drawer of a file cabinet. And when it doesn't open, he pulls a little hard and just pulls it all out. Oh, my God. <laughs> Spilling some files everywhere. At this point, a uh, man comes out and he's asking for, uh, he's asking for you-know-who. And uh, Wesley says, like, oh, well, he's out. Uh, what can I help you with? And uh, he's like, I mean, I don't know if you can help me. Wesley's like, uh, excuse me, I was a rogue demon hunter. So it, so I know how to handle myself and then slips on the papers. I, you know, this guy was just going, you're not a rogue demon hunter. You're a damn nerd. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, leave it to Wesley Wyndham Price to take a phrase as objectively badass as rogue demon hunter and make me go you sound like a nerd when you say that yeah I, like honestly fucking um like Dwayne the rock johnson could release a movie where he is a rogue demon hunter and it could be the most badass thing ever but if he ever said rogue demon hunter I'm like nope sorry that phrase has lost all of its badassery you're a damn nerd sorry Dwayne. <laughs> Dwayne, gosh it's so weird to to refer to the rock as Dwayne. A bit. Um, but uh but yeah, so Cordelia uh comes in and she's like, What are you doing on the floor? And Wesley's just like, Oh, you know, chasing away business, slipping on stuff, making a mess. 
And uh, she's like, well, we have to stop Angel, because he's about to do something really stupid. Yep. And uh, then she makes it. Then after, like, this guy has just been entirely rude to Wesley, Cordelia just says something rude to Wesley, yeah, too. Unnecessary, Cordy. I mean, in all fairness, I was remarking on Wesley's wardrobe as well, because his shirts are, like, two sizes too big for him. You were remarking on the fit of the clothing, which I think is a valid thing to remark on. It's also a condemnation of the style of the time. <laughs> Cordelia literally tells him to dress like a man, which is rude, and... And, uh, like, heteronormative and patriarchal. And, Cord- I'm sorry, Cordy, you have no no room to be uh, commenting on someone's appearance this week with whatever the fuck is going on with your hair. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like she leaves the front part unbraided, but it's, an, it's a strange distribution. It's so weird. It's... It, Honestly, tied, looks... uh, maybe not even braided, but tied. Yeah, well, it's just like it's clearly been dyed because it's darker mm-hmm. than it's been before, and it's like been straightened, and it's way longer. It looks like honestly, it looks like bad extensions, um, and it might have been like, yeah. because um, and I'm gonna put this on everyone's radar. Cordy hair watch because Cordy's hair, oh, Cordy's hair goes through a journey during her arc on the show, but in this Boy, season it. in particular. There's some hair choices. And I do wonder if this is a situation where maybe Charisma cut her hair and they were using extensions to, like, maybe transition her hair into what it... I don't know. But Mm. it looks a fright. (laughs) Um, I was just about to say something, but it just went flat out of my mind. I literally, at one point, while we were watching the episode, was like, who did Charisma piss off in the hair department? And I was like, ooh, you know what? In this context, that's not a funny joke. Um, but yeah, so it turns out that uh, Angel and Gunn are trying to break into Wolfram and Hart. Uh, they're going through a back way, uh, because Angel is basically obsessed with getting to Darla, after all the revelations from the last episode. And... Uh, Wesley and um, Cordelia go undercover, and uh, they are able to stop them in a very funny scene it's where so Angel's still trying to get like they're they're all in an elevator and he's trying to like get up that get up to like the upper floors, and uh, he keeps pressing the door close button. Cordelia presses the door open button, and uh, she's like, "What were you supposed to do? What were you what were you planning on doing?" He's like, "Well, I had a plan." Goes like, "Yeah, you had a plan." So like, well, they have vampire detectors up there. It's like, oh, well, I was going to just, you know, go, like, get in and get out before they did that. And because like, that was the plan? Walking, Walking fast? fast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I love that Gunn's just so on board. He's like, yeah, I'll, I'll get into some nonsense with you, Angel. This is fun. Up until he's like, what? The, I'm sorry. The fuck? <laughs> yeah, and a, and a guard does eventually, like, make his way there and, um... Uh, as you know, like, most of the guards of Wolfram and Hart are equipped with stakes, but, uh, yeah, this poor guy, he, um, he tried to stake the wrong vampire, and Angel shoves the stake through his, through his, uh, sh- through his foot, yeah. and, and Guns is like, damn, that's nasty! <laughs> <laughs> and is, yes, it is. It is not the nastiest thing that will happen in this episode, though. <laughs> there is an episode, there was a point in this episode where Harrison actually looked away from the screen. Yeah. Uh... But yeah, so 
we get our opening credits. Yay. Uh, they are able to... Clearly, they're given what happens ap- after the credits, they're able to convince Angel to not go forward with that stupid plan. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Angel, buddy. But, yeah, so uh, we're in Caritas. Yay. Um, two Japanese men are singing... Uh, or two Asian men, not necessarily Japanese. I just... I know that, like, karaoke is often associated with uh, Japanese culture. They are credited as Japanese businessmen. Oh, fair enough. So, uh, but I, I mean, to your point, though, let's go with Asian. That's a yeah. bit of a stereotype that it, we were easily able to, to pinpoint what the stereotype being presented to us was. So, two Asian men are singing I Got You, Babe by Sonny and Cher, mm-hmm. which, you know, if that is a good karaoke song if you have two people. If you have one person singing I Got You, Babe, that's just sad. It's just, or narcissistic. I mean, no, I think it's just sad. I mean, you could you could say that like it's narcissistic, but the narcissism of it makes it sad. Mm. Like, sad is the forefront emotion that I feel about <laughs> soloing <laughs> I Got You, Babe. I can't wait to go to karaoke with you next time. I have an idea. So there is like a... Um, I actually do have, like, uh, whenever we do karaoke again, whenever that is, um, I think, uh, I'm, my choice is gonna be, uh, Strangers Like Me from Tarzan. Nice! Nice choice. I actually heard, like, a really, like, cool hard rock metal cover of it, um, recently, and when I heard it, I was like, damn, you know, this version of the song's awesome, but also, the original version of that song's awesome. Tarzan's legit. No, that is. Like, <laughs> I love um, I love how so many people's like you know Phil Collins didn't have to go as hard as he did on that soundtrack, but we are all thankful yeah. that he did. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that song Fuck just yeah. that song just slaps anyway. Mm-hmm. Are kids still saying that? Are, are they still? Are the kids with their wordles still saying slaps? <laughs> it's five letters, so it works. I honestly have no idea how that works. It's actually pretty cool. I've been playing it. I've no, not been like, posting about it. There but have been, yeah, it's a pretty fun game. No, I know there are people who are like just angry at Wordle. <laughs> and I'm not angry at it. I am making no attempt to be a part of it. Yeah. But that's almost that's honestly because like I mean, I'd rather just read. It's <laughs> um it's I yeah, I'm happy that somebody that people yeah. have stuff to enjoy. It's cool. It's I I just am not the type who likes to post like when I do things like that posted on social media. But it is like a quick little five minute word puzzle that's kind of fun to do. Mm-hmm. And it uh one the 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 answer the other day was Shire. That was fun. Oh okay, cool. cool. Uh but yeah so uh yeah gangs of Caritas. This is Gun's first time in Caritas, so he's like. What the hell is this? So good. Um, it's a good gun episode. Like, we didn't really talk about it when we were watching it, but gun gets some great stuff in this episode. I wouldn't necessarily call it a gun episode because... Well, I meant, like, a great episode for him. Yeah, Not yeah, about yeah. him, but just yeah. he gets some really good moments in it. Yeah, he, um... Let, let's just go on record by saying this it's is a, a episode. fun episode. It is a very funny episode, and almost all of Gunn's parts in the episode are funny. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and, uh, Corey's explaining the rules whilst Angel is talking to the host, and, uh, the host remarks on how, um, he was worried that after their last talk, Angel was, wasn't gonna come back, and, 
Angel does seem to be in a somewhat better place. Uh, but <laughs> somewhat, yeah. yeah degrees. <laughs> uh, but yeah, as... But Cordy is explaining that uh, the host is able to um, see people's futures, see their souls with... Uh, with the singing and guns like wait an angel's gonna sing <laughs> and and uh that immediately smash cut to the host saying i'm not gonna make you sing and and he's like oh okay and i think angel's a little disappointed because i think he had a, a song picked out and, oh but, he did yeah but the, did. but the host says like you know it's a break for you break for me break for mr man a lot <laughs> Angel's so offended. Angel gets offended a lot in this episode. I I want to say something that I don't know if I've said before, but the yes, there's something fun and a little silly about you know packaging this idea in a karaoke bar, but I actually love the idea of like this of the host being able to use his empathic powers when people sing well, because yeah, it's it, so like this is not like the, an exposure of your soul yeah this is not the first uh piece of fiction to comment on how when somebody sings or somebody like plays music in any way that is like a pure kind of expression mm-hmm. of themselves That's why musicals exist yeah like literally yeah it's like i mean Obviously, in a lot of musicals, the plots aren't. I mean, they're not. They're not gonna win you any like Academy Awards or anything or Tonys. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I said Academy Awards, but like, um, yeah, like a lot. A lot of musical plots are fairly simplistic in how they go about. But you don't you really don't go to a lot of musicals for the plot you go for the spectacle and you go for the music Mm -hmm. um and yeah like the fact that the host can like oh i see their emotions when people are bearing their emotions yeah is great also baller business idea my skill is reading people's emotions seeing their path when they sing open a karaoke bar People are going to come see me, pay for their readings, presumably. I don't know. But also pay no, for their give, drinks. Yeah, like, just like just hire like a fucking fortune teller, too. Oh, my gosh. He's, I mean, we don't give credit. We don't give the host credit for his business acumen. Yeah. No, it's, <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, but, yeah, so the host says that he, um, he really can't have, uh, he really can't give him any more info about Darla. Uh, but he does say that there is a Swami who is known for like helping people out mm-hmm. and called the Tishmagev. So uh, Angel decides to go there. Uh, Cordelia is very happy that he doesn't have to sing. <laughs> oh, so funny. <laughs> so uh, Cordelia and Wesley are at the office and then um, a thug, as the Buffy wiki puts it, uh, comes in and he's demanding to see Angel. He's holds Cordelia gunpoint and uh so Wesley grabs Angel's long coat his duster if you will I will and uh comes out and says that he is Angel and uh yeah this is fantastic um he trips he does trip while he's I am Angel (laughs) uh but yeah and he he says like oh you know that gun won't kill me 
And I love... Props to Alexis Denisoff this whole episode because he very much... He just knocks it out of the park of being completely in over his head. Mm-hmm. But making that journey to where he gets more confidence in himself. Yeah. I mean, this is not our first Wesley Needs Confidence episode, but I think this is probably the most enjoyable one. Yeah, and he, like... Yes, you know, it's it's uh, funny. Oh, look, Wesley fell down. Um, uh, you know, we, we get some of that slapstick. Lucky you go down the hole. Um, <laughs> but it's also just, like, the... The Wesley we met back in season three of Buffy would have never even put that duster on. Yeah. You know, um, just the fact that he is willing to take this risk, even though he's going to bumble his way through it a bit, just is a testament to how much he's grown. And also, I mean, I think after that exchange that he had at the beginning of the episode, he's pretty just kind of pissed off yeah. everybody's <laughs> saying how crappy he is. Yeah. Um, He's like, Jane, give me a break. You, yeah. didn't, you didn't have to have me hit my head so many times. <laughs> in uh, but yeah, so um, the thug is like, oh, well, uh, may not may not hurt you, may not kill you, but what will it do to her? And so uh, Wesley decides to go along with this guy and he goes to a uh, nice little glitzy manner and uh this is home to magnus bryce who um wesley does recognize from business posts or whatever and uh as the thug is leading him in wesley follows him right into the house and uh fortunately the thug isn't looking because he says Oh, I invite you in. And Wesley immediately remembers what he's doing yeah. and, like, rapidly backs out and then comes in. Every time that Wesley forgets that he's... or does something that's, like, vampire can't do, hilarious. Yes. Uh, um, uh, Bryce reveals... This is going to be really hard. Uh, luckily, we refer to Wesley as Wesley, not Wesley Wyndham Price, because... Oh, God. Wyndham Price and Bryce. I did not even think about that. Um, oh, goodness. Well, like... Uh, well, I remember uh, when I first heard uh, Bryce's name, I, at first I thought they said Price, and I'm like, come on, guys, you couldn't pick anything else. <laughs> uh, but no, it is um, it is Bryce with a B, as in hmm. Barracuda. I wonder if that's on purpose. Uh, the episode doesn't really draw any parallels to it, so maybe not, but we already know that Wesley has a pretty shitty father. Yeah. So maybe... Oh. Here's another shitty father yeah. for you. Yeah. You know What am I watching? Lost? <laughs> what am I watching? The Marvel Cinematic Universe? <laughs> what am I watching? Basically any fiction. Yeah. <laughs> what is it about shitty fathers that lead you to become a writer? Unless I'm gonna drink right now. <laughs> that is not a comment on my father. I am making no comments on the quality of my father's parenting skills. Um So, quick side note, what do you think is the process for um, coming up with the names of not just major characters in a piece of fiction, but also minor characters? I mean, do you just, like, pull up a, like, do you just, like, throw a name out of nowhere unless it's supposed to have significance, or... 
So, um... You being the writer, please do. Yeah, so, and this is obviously just one writer's perspective. And I, I actually, it's funny you say that, because I don't know if you saw this tweet I made earlier. Um, let me, let me find it, because I thought that was pretty funny. But it also is relevant to your question. I wrote, haven't named the protagonists of a new screenplay oh, I'm working on that. yet. So they're just called gay number one and gay number two in the script. And honestly, that is the thing. It's, um... Some characters come to me fully formed with a name. Like, sometimes it's just, you know, I, I have a character in one of my screenplays who's, uh, it's for a pilot, a television pilot, whose name is Evelyn. She goes by Evie. And I just, her name was Evelyn from the beginning. I just knew that was her name. I couldn't tell you why, but she just felt like an Evelyn. Yeah. Um, sometimes characters... I start with, like, a generic name or just a gay number one. Um, and uh, kind of feel it out. And it's, sometimes the generic name just kind of sticks. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, this is... Uh, this character feels like this should be their name. And sometimes it gets to me later. Um, in my screenplay notes, the character of uh, Valerie... Uh, started her life in that screenplay with the name Victoria. And that felt wrong the whole time. It just, it felt wrong until one day I was like, her name's Valerie. And then... Valerie! <laughs> Maybe I was listening was, to too much Amy Winehouse. I was about to say, like, <laughs> was Amy Winehouse involved in this decision? Uh, um, quite possibly, actually. Um, so, and you know, for minor characters, I typically put a little less thought into it. Um... Especially if they're like, this character appears in one scene and has two lines, but I they still need a name because of yeah. the context. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that person's name is Jeff. Sam. <laughs> like, that person's name is Susan. Um, Sam, Jeff, and Susan. And, um, and, you know, it also, you know, certain things, uh, depending on what the work is, sometimes I'm going to consider historical contexts or, um, you know, ethnicity or culture or, you know, so all of that stuff does come into play. So I guess it's a, for me, it's kind of a mix. Sometimes it's just, I pick a name randomly and it's fine and it works or, or I actually, I'm like, oh, that's perfect. Sometimes their name changes at some point. And I assume that like, I assumed if you're not writing a show called Lost that um, <laughs> that there are obviously some names that don't have some thematic heft to them. Yeah. Lost though, <laughs> pull your pull up my list of philosophers. We get it. We get it. You like the names of philosophers and scientists. Um, yeah. So that, that's my process. John Locke and um, I. I feel like I actually had this conversation with Ben one time. Um, Friend of the show, Ben Gerhardt. Yeah, and I think he and I actually had a conversation. Follow him at Lunar Crescendo. Yeah, I love that name. It's so badass. Um, Most of the things he does are badass. uh, I I think it was him. Yeah, he and I had a conversation one time about naming characters, and I've and I've had I've. It's a weird thing because it's like, it feels arbitrary, but it's not. Like it's like, names don't really matter, but also names matter. Yeah. So. yeah, that's the, that's my perspective on naming characters, and there's a lot of schools of thoughts on it. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Um, I just I just figured I'd like get a, a little bit of you. Call up Damon Lindelof real quick. 
Dude, if you had him on speed be dial, so fucking cool. It would be. <laughs> I would like want to talk with him forever about the leftovers. Oh my god, I was actually thinking about that earlier. Um, I was thinking about Joss Whedon, and I was like, please God, whatever you do, do not reveal Damon Lindelof to be a shitty person. I can I can handle Whedon being shitty because he's always had that vibe a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what I would do if I found out Damon Lindelof was a shitty person. I don't think yeah, he they, is because everyone I've ever heard talk about him who's worked with him is like said really, really, really good things about him. Yeah, it's just like I, I'm, 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 I get so worried. Uh, but I'm also like, we've talked before about like separating the art from the artist. Obviously, obviously we do that um, <laughs> every day. <laughs> yeah, uh, but um, and I think what it boils down to is. Uh, probably how much of the stuff the how much of the art you have consumed before finding mm-hmm. out about yeah. what the artist's true nature is yeah i think uh, with lindelof too though what makes me feel better is watching literally re-watching lost now and it's so good i fucking love it but there are some things i'm like ooh, that's some mid-2000 shit um and watching him evolve not just as a storyteller but also how he portrays certain things from lost to the leftovers to watchmen i'm like oh i'm not just seeing you grow as an artist i'm seeing you grow as a person too yeah i love um i've been wanting to rewatch lost ever since i watched the leftovers yeah. which was a while ago so at this point sounds like i'm gonna have to just rewatch the leftovers and then rewatch lost uh but you know what we've we've dwelled so much on this <laughs> yeah let's get back to the actual episode um yes uh, Wesley meets Magnus Bryce, who um, is a fairly famous businessman in all the publications. However, his fortune mostly comes from mass-producing spells and enchantments. He's a wizard. <laughs> Fucking hilarious. He's a wizard. And, like, honestly, just saying that makes me think, that's ridiculous. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. And it's, it's very obvious that he's, like, uh, obviously, I'm... I'm pushing this from a 2022 lens but like kind of a jeff bezos type kind of an elon musk type actually i think the the his rival in this episode is more the elon musk type um because he calls him that like weird european or or euro creep which i know elon musk is not actually what or is he what is he (laughs) other than he's a kook yeah i feel like kook is a too kind of word to to describe elon musk (laughs) Is he like um, German or some shit, or is he just weird? <laughs> hey, not, I'm not to say not to say the Germans are weird, <laughs> but like, are we South African? That, you know what? And now that you say that, I think I might have known that. Oh, but that's I mean, right, because his dad owns like a like fucking diamond mines or something. Yeah. Bullshit. Anyway, but let, let's stop talking about Elon Musk. Yeah, let's um, talk about this rich asshole. <laughs> but yeah, um, the reason that he is asked. Uh, for angel services um, is because that uh, he's very worried about his daughter. Um, he thinks that attempts have been made on her life by um, people who work for a rival corporation run by a man named Paul Lanier. Um, and, uh, the, and he basically wants Angel to watch be his daughter's bodyguard since he has such a since angel has such a reputation by 
uh, being feared by demons. Mm-hmm. Um, then, uh, as a gesture of hospitality, um, he does pour Wesley a drink of blood. And, yeah, this is when Harrison looked away. This is... <laughs> you know, gut someone on screen. And I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. I don't know why this was somehow worse than we saw than when we saw Cordy do it back in expecting. And maybe it was just because I was so upset about everything else happening and expecting that I was I just I couldn't even focus on that. But uh, yeah, ugh. probably like the more lighthearted tone um, definitely helps it like stick out. Yeah, as um, it's... you know, it's kind of like on the lo- it's kind of like on the same level of a. Uh, Austin Powers drinking like fat bastards liquefied shit. <laughs> this coffee tastes like shit. It is shit, Austin. Oh, oh good, god. then it's not just me. Oh my god. Oh my god. Anyway, <laughs> Alexis Denisov does these little burps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Funny. No, like um Yeah, the he, he does the revulsion perfectly. And uh when both Bryce and his bodyguard are looking away. He tries to pour it into a vase, but the vase is clear and it's fucking blood, so of course it turns it red. And Wesley immediately just like hops right in front of it so that they don't notice the blood in the in the vase with the flowers. And it's so good. That is like this is a just fantastic couple minutes of comedy right there. Do you know what this episode is missing? One thing it's missing. It's a shot later in the episode, or maybe just like a line from Bryce, where he's like, why are my flowers dead? Like, just like the wilted flower. I don't know if that if they so would, like, that would actually kill them, but... So one of the first, um... The very first episode of Friends, uh, when Rachel is, uh, saying that, um... She's basically just kind of, like, said that she's done accepting, uh, her dad's money... And uh, she thinks that if she, her first thing is, like, if she can make coffee, she can do anything. And so she makes coffee for Joey and Chandler. And, uh, oh, like, yeah, good for you. And then as she's turned away, they, like, drink it. It's terrible. They pour it into the plant that's at the center of the table. And you would think that, like, they'd be done with that. But then um, later on in the episode, uh, they're back in Monica's apartment, like, the whole gang is. And Rachel thinks that, like, oh, she can't do anything and ross is trying to be nice they're like come on you make coffee you can do anything and chandler slowly tries to hide the dead plants (laughs) and that is um that is something i did not notice until i was much older and i'm like that is some good continuity right there i like that a lot uh but yeah that's what immediately made me think of that um but yeah so let's go a little bit away it is really funny because, like, uh, the Buffy wiki says, like, Bryce then offers Wesley a glass of blood and Wes forces a little of it down his throat before managing to discard the rest unseen. Barely managing. <laughs> nice. Um, but yeah, like, you know, it could have it could have just been really funny him, like, pouring it into a vase. But the fact that they added on to it with, like, oh, it turned the water red, that was even better. Yeah. I, I love that. It's very good. Um... Yeah, let's go to Angel, because Angel's going to a cabin, uh, and it doesn't really look like this is where a swami would be. 
Uh, and it and yeah, and the Swami is like probably not what you picture in your head when you think of Swami, just a regular guy. This regular guy is played by Art LaFleur, who is a character actor. And uh, the reason that I noticed him right away is because um, probably one of his most beloved roles, believe it or not, is in the sequels to the Santa Claus. He plays the Tooth Fairy. And um, he actually has like a... And he's, he's just a really fun guy. And um, especially in that, he has a, he actually has like a pretty decent role in the second Santa Claus movie. Yeah, it's been so long since I've seen those movies. But I, I do, like when you said that, I was like, oh yeah. Because he was very, very memorable. Yeah. Um, and I mean... Yeah, like and part lot... of it, it's, it's like, oh, the Tooth Fairy, it's like an old guy that's funny like but, yeah and like and like uh i feel like the best character actors are the ones that are memorable it's like you see them you're like oh i've seen them before you may not be able to name them like famous character actress and uh, fugitive from the law margo <laughs> martindale <laughs> but no um it, unfortunately art lafleur did pass away um they did announce to art yeah to art lafleur um what a great guy yeah Um, they did recently, and it's really interesting because uh, they did recently announce that they were the Disney Plus was going to make a sequel series to the Santa Claus, and uh, and the one of the things that like I saw in the comments was somebody saying like, but the Tooth Fairy won't be there in a sad Aww. face. And um, can we talk about the Santa Claus for just a minute? Okay. Um, so. Uh, I usually try to watch a couple of uh, Christmas movies with my mom every year. Uh, our go-tos for the last couple of years have been White Christmas and and the original Miracle on 34th Street with okay. uh, little Natalie Wood in it. Uh, but this year she, we decided to watch, um, we opened up Disney Plus and we decided to watch uh, Home Alone and the Santa Claus. And uh, first of all, Home Alone... That holds up, man. Nice. That movie holds up. And also, something that I feel like I should have known, but didn't really realize until this time watching around, that music was done by John Williams. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just like you always associate with like, oh, it's either Star Wars or Spielberg. Yeah. But uh, everything else is just Hans Zimmer. I was <laughs> <laughs> sure swoops in there sometimes. <laughs> that's, that's true. Um <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, but then we watched the Santa Claus, and I get that the Santa Claus's premise is a little ridiculous. <laughs> oh, if Santa Claus dies, the next guy to put on his suit becomes Santa Claus. I get that. However, people seem to have this like nostalgic love for the Santa Claus. God, we are going on a lot of tangents in this episode. <laughs> it's going to be like an extra 25 or 30 minutes long because of this. Because of these tangents. But I, this is important. I want to say it. People um, people have like this nostalgic love for the original Santa Claus. But then everybody talks about how the sequels are shit. And with the announcement of this sequel series, so many people were talking about like, Oh God, those sequels are terrible. Like, why would we want another series? Here's the thing. My mom wanted to, after we watched Santa Claus, she wanted to, and we didn't watch it right away, but we did watch the next two movies mm -hmm. um, over like a couple weeks. And it's actually funny because we watch, like, 
the sun the Saturday before um, the sequel series was announced when we watched uh, Santa Claus Three: The Escape Clause, mm-hmm. and I feel like. Yes, the premise is ridiculous of the original movie, but if you're all in on the premise, then I think that the sequels do a really good job of building up that mythology and telling good stories in the in the lens of the Santa Claus series. I don't think any of the stories in the other in the second two movies are as are any more ridiculous than the first story i think it's a pretty good trilogy overall again if you're like look at it as like this is the santa claus trilogy if you're like comparing it to a whole bunch of other like higher quality movies yeah they're gonna fall short but you keep it in there i think that like both sequels are on the same level as the original santa claus i was not prepared for uh, I did not have Jason Stumps for the Santa Claus sequels on my bingo card, but I'm grateful for it. I will say, I, it's been so long since I've watched any of them. Also, um, hats off to the... I, I think that the sequels get a lot of um, hate because they came out so far apart oh yeah, from the original. Gap. But also, they were able to keep almost the entire cast... Throughout mm-hmm. the throughout the like Judge Reinhold, they were able to keep him for all three movies. Oh, I love Judge Reinhold, yeah. So I remember strongly disliking the third one when I when it came out, but I always have had a really so- big soft spot for the second one. And I don't think it's a coincidence that it's Elizabeth Mitchell. That that's the one where that introduces Elizabeth Mitchell. And I don't think it's a coincidence that, at least in my memory, Elizabeth Mitchell gets jack shit to do in the third one. Well, um, the in the defense of the Santa Claus three, the Escape Clause. <laughs> um, if I had to give it like one one uh, mark against it, it would be that um, they spend a tad too much time on establishing what the world is like before the escape clause even though we already know what this world is like mm-hmm. yeah um and like when it actually gets to the escape clause part you're almost halfway through the movie if your central conflict shouldn't take like half of the movie to get to it should be like oh you've got like a fourth of the movie setting up your central conflict taking up the next two fourths and then your resolution happening in the last fourth of the movie yeah there's a very easy formula for pe- for people who want to write movies. Um, I've got from a movie wa- from a movie watcher. I've got a shelf of books on that subject. Well, you don't need that. You got me. <laughs> I got you. All right. Anyway, uh, this is a. What are we talking about? This is a Juliet. I almost said a Juliet Mitchell. This is an Elizabeth Mitchell who plays Doctor Juliet Burke. Uh, Stan account. Um. God. What. what? How did I get on the Santa Claus? Uh, Art Lafleur. Art Lafleur. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. Angel meets the Swami, played by Art Lafleur, and Swami's a pretty easygoing guy. He likes fishing. He actually ends up getting Angel to fish, and then is defeated by Angel fishing. <laughs> um, Chekhov's fishing rod. Yeah, that that is true. Uh, but yeah, um, he's pretty like just kind of standard regular guy, and. Um, uh, but he does bring up some very cogent points about Angel. Uh, for instance, 
In a city known for its sun, he drives a convertible. He wears all black, despite the fact that he doesn't have a reflection. So Angel is trying to... And I would say that um, even with what happens, what's revealed about him later in the episode, I think that he hits on some pretty important things for Angel. I love when he's like, why do you hate yourself, Angel? (laughs) (laughs) Why do you hate yourself? (laughs) Well, and it's... It's important... This stuff is fun. It's so funny. But it is important that it matters. Because otherwise, this whole Swami thing is just a a reason to get Angel out of the picture. Right. Um, And if that's all they needed was just get Angel out of the picture, then we don't need to be spending this time here. Um, You know, if, if... in another version of this episode, Angel goes to see the Swami and then, like, towards the end shows back up and is like, oh, Swami was evil, y'all. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, um, but it's important that what he hears from the Swami, even before the reveal that he's re- is an evil dude, is still relevant to Angel so that this all this stuff isn't just a waste of screen time. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> but yeah, and what it is, what the Swami does, uh, clue, sorry, Ben Gerhardt, uh, friend of the pod, just texted me um, uh, with an article about Joss Whedon asking if I've read it yet. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Just some uh, timely stuff. But yeah, um, so so what he does say is that Angel has two sides. Um, There's the side that he tries to project to people, showing that he is like, you know totally control of all this demon stuff but there's also the side that is the actual demon and angel's very much ashamed of it and uh and obviously like that's kind of it's interesting because the minute that he says that you're like oh well that makes sense because it totally fits with angel as a character Mm -hmm. like i mean he the entire point of the romani curse was for him to feel shame or hex, if you want, <laughs> if you're looking for some leeway to sleep with a girl. Oh. Um, yeah. So Wesley does, in fact, meet uh, Mr. Bryce's daughter, Virginia, yes. who is. Let's play our game. Yeah, our game. Spot one of the parents from Marvel's Runaways. This is Bridget <clears throat> Bridget Branagh, uh, who plays. Oh shit! I knew this. I looked this up earlier. She's the mom of the girl who has the dinosaur. Um, <laughs> um, Open the door, get on the floor. Everybody want the dinosaur. And she is very wacky on that show. Um, she's not wacky here, but I really, really like her. Um, she's got... Also, you know, in an episode where Cordy's hair looks not great... Her hair looks fantastic. I mean, she just... I mean, she went up to Bernadette Peters. She punched Bernadette <laughs> in the face and shaved her and wore her hair as a wig. Yeah, I guess Bernadette Peters does have that dark red hair. Mm-hmm. That's, like, the same curls. Yeah. Oh, my God. Bernadette Peters, Bridget Branagh, buddy movie, their mom and daughter, and they rob banks. That's... <laughs> that... 
and it's not the worst idea you've ever had. Um, let's see. Uh, maybe we can do an intergenerational thing. Who could play Bridget Branagh's daughter? Let's just swap out like the Strode women from Halloween. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> With um, I. I don't, I, she might be just a skosh too old, but I'm still going to go with it. But I'm going to say Emma Stone. Okay. Yeah. I'm staying. Bernadette Peters, Bridget Branagh, Emma Stone, three generations of redheaded women robbing banks. That would be interesting to see uh, Emma Stone in cur- it, with those, like, with that curl, though, mm. because I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen her without her hair being straight. I don't think I have either. Oh, no, no, no. Um, it's it's lighter, it's more blonde, but she's got like kind of frizzled hair in the favorite. Doesn't she? Oh remember? yeah. Yeah. It's not I, I haven't seen that movie since I saw the theater, um, so but um good old Yorgos Lanthimos. Uh anyway. <laughs> continue. Um But yeah, so uh mm. what's But I really like her. Um, I think she's really yeah. great in this role. Yeah, she she does a great job. Um, a much more memorable uh, side character than we've had as of Yeah, late. well, it's just like, she's immediately, like, the time we spend with her is really well spent. Because we learn really quickly. We learn, you know, we can tell immediately she's smart as a fucking whip. She's got a spine. Um, but she's also got these, like, vulnerabilities and insecurities. So she just, right out of the gate, feels like a, a whole person, yeah. even though we don't know her very well yet. Yeah. And um, when Wes goes into her room, uh, he um, sees his reflection in the mirror and just, like, freaks out. like, ah, cover the mirrors! Cover the mirrors! <laughs> it's like, we know you're a vampire. It's like, cover the mirrors! <laughs> because um, he wants the tactical advantage. Yes. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so Wesley kind of like gets a minute to just sit with her and she says like, oh, she spent, she's like, she she does mention later that she's 24. She's 24. Yeah. Yeah. But she's kind of like spent so much time inside because her dad's worried about her. Um, but, um, Wesley does say like, uh, he does like promise to protect her be your bodyguard and so she's like okay let's go shopping <laughs> and uh it's really funny because when they leave um her dad and his bodyguard are still there and they just walk by and then he's and and Wesley says we're going shopping <laughs> uh and um yeah cordelia is uh cordelia is like trying to get both the guys back and uh so she's looking up all like the person who held her at gunpoint while she tells gun to go find the swami and uh and um yeah that's pretty much it for that scene uh so they go so wesley and virginia go into this uh store that sells really fancy wizardry stuff and it's at this point when um uh, Virginia reveals that like oh her dad's about to turn 50 and um, she knows that he uh, she knows that he is a worshipper of the goddess Yeska and um, so she's 
she's fairly familiar with a lot of this Mm -hmm. magic and witchcraft stuff because, you know, she's been around it. And she does mention how um, her dad used to share this stuff with her. Um, So it does seem like there's a little, like, regret in the loss of that. But then... And he's kind of moved away from her. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, like, she does get that across, like, because she doesn't just hate her father. She hates the fact that she can't have a father. Yeah. She has a line that's so good. It's not in the scene, but it's later where her, Wesley's like, you know, he's just trying to protect you. And she responds with, yeah, and he has his car insured, too. Mm-hmm. And I, that line, I was like, Oof, that cuts like because uh-huh. uh, it tells you everything you need to know about their relationship. But it is really funny because uh, while um, Virginia is talking about all the stuff about her dad, Wesley's just kind of messing around with this uh, what looks like a it's like a helmet, helmet from the Crusades, yeah. and of course he's fiddling with like the cross, and uh, and and Virginia looks at it like doesn't that burn? He's like ah yes, oh my gosh. It, dunks his hand into this cold um this uh, ice bucket that has champagne he's like ah cold <laughs> and at this point um two thugs do show up they were sent by lanier and uh they're like just flat out casually just being like oh say goodbye to the pretty boy virginia and she's like angel like this is angel and uh wesley rolls with it and I feel like anybody else would be like, I'm not sure about this, but these thugs are dumb. They're very <laughs> I mean, this episode does uh, rely on basically nobody questioning, like, wait, this is Angel, mm-hmm. but it's fine. So, uh, yeah, and, it, and uh, Angel and uh, Tishmagev are um, continuing his therapy ses- session uh, with some stick fighting. And, uh, and yeah, and he's talking more about, this just kind of, like, continues what we said before, how they're discussing Angel's inner demon that he's ashamed of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, but then, uh, we get the reveal that, um, Paul Lanier hired this guy to kill the real Tishmagev, and Art Lafleur is not. But, that being said... One of the most insightful henchmen yeah. ever. Like oh, yeah. he he pulls it off and honestly, even if that twist wasn't there, I still would have been happy about it because I, I really like the way Art LaFleur plays this. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, uh, none of this feels like wasted time. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah. So um the reason that he that he killed the original Tishmagev anyway was um uh one of the waiters at Caritas tipped off um Lanier. And uh <gasps> Do you think it was the cutie who brought the host his drink? Quite possibly. I <gasps> oh, mean he, no. I mean he was the person that was closest to them, so he probably could have heard it. That makes me so sad for the host. He's because they were definitely banging. Oh. I can see that. Oh no. We, no we, I'm we, sad. We, we've mentioned before <laughs> how we think that the host is a very queer character. Very queer. And um Yeah, like and I mentioned that you know, at this point in the run of both series, so many, and we actually just talked about in the last episode of Buffy, um, the Tara Willow relationship and how that's become like the front and center queer storyline. But you know, let's 
let's also think about the host. Yeah, and I'm unsure if Andy Hallett was queer. Um, I mean, I, I'm certainly making some assumptions. Uh, he, he definitely gives me a queer vibe. Uh, he also died very young, so yeah. it's, you know, it's unsure. Yeah, it, at least on his Wikipedia page, nothing. It doesn't say anything, so. But yeah, um, yeah, so, uh, uh, the, again, like, I'm just gonna call him Art LaFleur from now on. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Art LaFleur says, um, he doesn't really know how long he can, like, just keep this up. He's worried that Angel might end up smelling, uh, blood coming from the actual Tishmagev's body. And, um, but that's when Lanier's like, wait a minute, the vampire's with you? He's like, yeah. It's like, then who's the English guy? <laughs> and, uh, and at this point, Cordelia has been looking through, has been looking through, like, all the mugshot that she could find, couldn't, couldn't find this guy that held her at gunpoint. She then decides to pick up a celebrity magazine, and while flipping through it, sees a picture of, of, uh, Bryce, Virginia, and staying in the background, Bryce's bodyguard, which she recognized, like, oh my gosh, it's him! Yeah, this, we, we commented while we were watching, is very convenient. And I, I mentioned this. I think this is meant to be like a gag. Like, I think it's, and I think there's a, a bit of a failure of directing here and music, musical cue. Because in my, like, seeing this on a script, from a scripting perspective, if I'm Jane, I'm going like, okay, you know, we're doing, all, everything's kind of a comedy of errors in this episode is what's happening. Yeah. So, Cordy's going through all the mug shots, but then what she, how she actually finds it is because she's leafing through this magazine. Um, yeah, it's, and that, that's a bit of a jokey right there. It's jokey. Like, and that's should be the bit, but... One, she goes straight to the page, and then there's a super dramatic musical score. Whereas the rest of the episode has been using this like do 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 do, do <laughs> music. So it's like I feel like there's some a blocking problem. What you really should have her doing is flipping through the magazine at the start of the scene while she's getting bored by going through all of the mug shots, and then stumbling upon it. And then the doot 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 music happens. Cause so that at least then we know that yes, it's silly, but it's a joke. Like it's not like yeah, it's I don't know. Or fuck. I don't have a vision. Also like I mean, Yeah, it, it's it's a very interesting choice. Yeah, it's weird. Um Wesley takes Virginia back to her room. There are two guys in cloaks that are masked and have fireworks and they attempt to kidnap Virginia. Uh, but Wesley just has the, all the confidence in the world at this moment and Yay. kicks the crap out of him. So good on you, Wes. And that makes Virginia horny. Yes, it does. Um, and uh, so... But yeah, but, uh, and Virginia does make the comment like, oh, you didn't uh, put on your vampire face. He's like, well, I'm not like most vampires. 
this point, we go to uh, Angel and Art LaFleur uh, fishing. And uh, Angel's been discussing uh, Wolfram Hart resurrecting Darla. And uh, Tishmikev, at this point, I like to think that um, now that we know who he is, his advice... The quality of his advice plummets because <laughs> he does say like, "Oh, you know, you should." It's like, um, "Oh, like, well, well, what, what, what is it about her that he's like?" Well, you know, I mean, she's pretty, she's short, she's blonde, blonde. and <laughs> he's like, "Well, that's what you need to do. You need to like find a short, pretty blonde girl, have sex with her, and then not talk to her again. It'll feel really great." Yeah, and Angel's like, "I tried that." <laughs> Seriously, get this man, Buffy season two. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, but then that's when we get like a, despite the fact that it's, they're discussing something that we know about and, but they're discussing in a funny way. It's pretty good, um, pretty good, uh, parallels because it goes back and forth between, uh, Virginia pretty much kind of saying that she's attracted to Wesley Mm -hmm. and, uh, but she also knows like, oh, I know about the curse and uh, at the same time, Angel's explaining to uh, yeah. to Art Lafleur, and uh, he's like, "Oh, a whole sex thing, huh? That sucks." <laughs> the show is finally acknowledging the misconception that people have that sex is what breaks the curse. It's yeah, like, it's a moment of true happiness. <sighs> and Wesley, of course, uh, is like, you know, it's could just be more of a hex, and. Uh, <laughs> And Wesley is about to start saying that he's not really Angel, but Virginia ends up just, like, making out with him, and uh, you know where that leads. They go to Bone Town. They do. Um, So, I feel like we should address address this. Is Wesley in the wrong here? Uh, Yeah. I mean, yes. Like, I mean, yes. I will say, he is been forced into the situation against his will so it's not that he has a ton of great options but we're also dealing with sexual politics of the early 2000s where you know this isn't the sort of thing that people are thinking about and talking about yeah um so yes objectively he shouldn't have done it um and but I'm also willing to give Wesley some space where he was... Obviously, he was not forced to have sex with her at gunpoint. But he is in the situation because he and West, he and Cordelia were being literally held at gunpoint. Yeah, and like probably the thing that kind of sticks out in my mind is that when it's revealed to Virginia later who Wesley really is, um, she kind of like tells how she felt about mm-hmm. Wesley, Angel... That, like, she thought she had somebody that she could trust. Yeah. And either Wesley wasn't aware of that, or, you know, it's just not something to visit upon. Yeah. And uh, I'm really grateful that the episode gives Virginia uh, that moment to express how hurt she is. Mm-hmm. And it's not... And it's not done in a way that's making us be like, oh, wow, Virginia's a bitch. It's like, it's it really does want us to sympathize with her. Yeah. And her perspective on this situation, which is good. Um, so Gunn arrives at the cabin. Uh, hang on. Great Buffy wiki line here. Yes. Uh, so this is after Wesley has um, 
mentioned the hex. Uh, he decides to tell her the entire truth about his identity, but Virginia cuts him off, and the two soon submit to their passions. Um, so, uh, Gunn does eventually find the cabin. He's trying to find Angel. Um, Art LaFleur is there, and, um, he's like, oh, I look for Angel. He's that pile of dust right there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, JK. But he decides to, uh, knock Gunn out anyway. I do love how Gunn's like, weird fucking joke, man. <laughs> like, um, but Angel, of course, sees that, and, um, He's like, so where's the real Tish McGev? And uh, he's like, ah, oh, well, he's somewhere. Uh, I'm not worried about you because you can't like can't come out to the sun. Angel then uh, grabs a fishing pole, casts the fishing line, and hooks Art Lafleur by the lip Ugh. and pulls him in. Yuck! <laughs> Damn, you know, for a funny episode, this has got a couple of cringeworthy scenes in uh. it. Um. But yeah, and he's like, oh, you want to see my, you want to really see my inner demon. And uh, we can obviously see where this is heading. Uh, Wesley does wake up next to Virginia. They have done the deed. And uh, so he gets dressed and starts to leave the room. And Cordelia's there because she's there to rescue him. Yay! Uh, she was able to walk right in because she said that she works for Angel. Um, this is the second time that we- Cordelia successfully just walked into like a highly secure place in one episode yeah um so but and she's like let's get out of here but wesley says you know i don't i don't want to leave because you know i want to protect this girl because he loves her he loves her. <laughs> he loves her wesley in virginia sitting in a tree but yeah lying um, about his identity oh nice <laughs> um, thank you <laughs> Bryce shows up because he's been tipped off that uh, this is not Angel. This is Wesley. Um, and uh, But he tries, and uh, Virginia does wake up, and she's like, oh, is everything okay? And um, that's when her dad reveals, like, this is an angel, and pulls Wes into the, into the sunlight. And Wes really does try to sell it, like, <laughs> oh, no! I'm a vampire! <laughs> The sun will surely scorch me. Uh, but yeah, but it's at this point when he just does reveal his identity. And as I said before, Virginia's really upset by it. Um, and uh, because, you know, not only does she feel betrayed because she just slept with him, but also um, she did say that she thought that she had a friend. Yeah. So I don't know which one is like. I'll leave that up to the viewer, which one kind of hurts more. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the sex thing, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah. But also, feeling betrayed mm-hmm. by a friend is... Especially when you don't have any. It's a pretty big deal. But yeah, so... Uh, Cordelia and Wes get thrown out. Um, but uh, And Bryce remarks how his sacrifice for his 50th birthday is at risk. So, um, he does order security to get beefed up, and, uh, but he's still determined for this party to happen. Um, so, Wesley, Cordelia, Angel, and Gunn all show up at the hotel at the same time. That's nice. And, uh, and, 
Angel says, like, oh, yeah, the Swami was fake. And Wesley then starts putting everything together while Angel's just like, is that my coat? <laughs> That's my coat, isn't it? And, uh, but um, Wesley puts together that, oh, somebody, like, the Swami informed informed Lanier, who informed Bryce. And um, he does mention the uh, goddess Yeska, but that's when Angel says, like, oh, well, I mean, Yeska isn't a goddess. She's a Davrick demon. And Wesley knows that term because he's like, oh, well, like, demons don't serve humans unless they make a sacrifice on their 50th birthday. Oh, that's <laughs> all, it's all coming together. And uh, so that's when um, that's when uh, he realized, that, like, oh, Lanier was informing Bryce because... Bryce is going to get a lot of power from this sacrifice. Yeah. So there you I, go. I love this idea that it's like, oh yeah, they he is trying to kidnap Virginia to save her life. Yeah. But also it's still not heroic because he's only doing it to fuck her father over. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, so then Wes, Wes just takes action. He steps up and he's like, oh, you guys need to go to the back. Cordelia and I go through the front. And uh, Angel's just like, uh, yeah, you know what? That, that's right. That sounds like a good plan. But give me my coat. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so then we get the party. Virginia. Oh, her her one dumb moment in the episode is she's like, what is this thing? Yeah. <laughs> this giant stone that has chains attached to it. I guess she's just like, oh, more dad's wizard more crap. Dad's weird shit. <laughs> uh, looking Stunning in this red dress. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, if you're gonna get sacrificed, you gotta look good doing it. You gotta it. look good doing it. Um, but yeah, so So uh Bryce does reveal to Virginia, like, yeah, I'm going to uh sacrifice you. Sorry, honey. <laughs> and uh, of course, you know, Virginia's had enough of these like betrayals. <laughs> She's done with it. Uh but she is chained up, but then um, hey. Everybody, and then Bryce says the whole, like, oh, well, just know, honey, this is, like, really hard for me to go through. Like, Bullshit! Fuck you! Fuck yeah, you. fuck you, man. <laughs> Luckily, uh, Wesley and the team shows up, and uh, they start fighting, and um, and they're able to, like, put up a pretty good fight against the guards, especially Wesley. I mean, yeah, yeah he really is coming to his own. He's not wearing the jacket, but he still looks pretty good fighting. And, uh, but unfortunately, uh, Bryce is able to summon Yeska, but, like, she's only on there for, like, a second when she's like, sacrifice is impure, and then just, like, just vanishes. Baba Yaga-looking motherfucker. <laughs> Pieces out. <laughs> she's, she's like, I gotta get back to my, my mortar and pestle I ride around in in Russia. <laughs> well, no, like, uh, Baba Yaga has the house with the chicken legs. But she also rides around in the, in the mortar. Oh, yeah. She has both. She, does. she has both those weird shit. Yeah. Just eating children or whatever she does. <laughs> That's such a strange legend. <laughs> I mean, look at Krampus, man. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, so Bryce is like, wait a minute. You're not a virgin? Which Gunn is like, oh, that's what I mean by impure. Yeah. And uh, he's like, wait a minute. You couldn't have slept with Angel because Angel was supposed to like you know, Angel's a eunuch. You can't <laughs> sleep with anybody. You have to be a virgin. 
And so many revelations come out because Angel's like, I'm not a eunuch. (laughs) And Virginia's like, wait a minute, Dad, you thought I was a virgin when I slept with Wesley? And then (laughs) she's just like, no, I slept with that driver when I was 16 and 18. And I even dated uh, Rick or something. Rick or something who happened to be one of the guys wearing. And we don't even see him. We just we see, see him slinking away. So funny. Um, God has a line I don't love where he's just like, I could have told you she wasn't a virgin. Rude, Wesley. Rude. I think yeah. it was Gunn who said that. Or it was Gunn. I'm yeah. sorry. Rude Gunn. Rude. Yeah. Uh, but J. Um, August Richards' delivery of the line was very funny. But, but yeah, still like, rude. Yeah. And uh, Virginia's was like, I haven't been a virgin for a really long time. Um, and uh, and then she decks her dad. Yeah. Well, at the same time, Angel's just like, you know, the curse. Like, Angel can't get over the fact this guy thinks he's a eunuch. And uh, so as the gang's leaving, Angel's just like, by the way, I'm not a eunuch. <laughs> Angel, sweetheart, we know. <laughs> yeah, like, dude, get over it. Um, so, yeah, so Cordelia is very upset the a few days later because um, uh, Wesley's appearing in the tabloids because he's dating Virginia. And uh, it says that he's a private detective and bodyguard. And... Cordelia's like, uh, reflecting glory is my thing. <laughs> and, uh, he's like, hey, don't be jealous. Um, but then he sees, like, that Wesley's referred to as the bodyguards of the stars. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I think during, as the credits pop up, he's like, what? Wesley investigations or something. Or Wyndham like, Price investigations. Wyndham Price investigations. <laughs> yeah. So, and, uh, but yeah, and that's, uh, that is Guys Will Be Guys. Yeah. What a fun episode. So fun. I I feel like we... It's either this episode or maybe it was uh, The Shroud of Ramon, which is the heist episode we're going to get in yeah. a couple weeks that we watched during our Buffy Angel Marathon. Or maybe it was both. Maybe we just got both of these like... No, I, I'm almost certain it was Guys Will Be Guys okay. because I, I think I... I think I picked that out because somebody okay. else had already picked out Spin the Bottle. And, um, I think Ben picked Spin the Bottle. Uh, I'm almost certain he did. <laughs> yeah. But I think I remember, like, can we watch this one? Guys will be guys. It's great. Um, it's so... It's funny. It's it's tight. It's quick. Like, it, you know, it gets going. But it's also, like, it's not a throwaway. Like, it is really good character development for Wesley, and, and as we mentioned, the stuff with Angel matters. And, you know, Cordy and Gunn have smaller parts, but they, you know, they're still great in those parts. And yeah. and in all fairness, we just came off of an incredibly heavy episode of Angel. Yeah. So it's always nice to have these moments of levity. Mm-hmm. and Especially because, you know, Angel isn't as associated with these lighthearted episodes as Buffy is. Right. Um... That's not to say that it doesn't have its moments of levity. I, I think, like, even at the beginning when um, it has the whole elevator scene, uh, I was talking about how, how great this this cast has come together mm-hmm. and how great their chemistry is. Yeah. Well, not just the fact that this is coming off of a heavy Angel episode, but thinking through it just in the wider context of the Buffyverse, the week before was too intense ep- uh, and it was No Place Like Home and Dear Boy. Both yeah. intense episodes in their own right. Um, 
and followed up with you know family which is more dramatic but ultimately like really heartfelt and uplifting yeah. and this is a more um so they're both kind of i don't want to say palate cleansers because that implies that what came before wasn't very good but like chill out episodes. yeah you know we, we had a week of like intense stuff going on so this week we can relax spend a little time with some of our supporting characters and you know and that is and as we've mentioned before that is just where jane espenson thrives oh yeah yeah um we love jane so much i do i'm i'm so happy that i've met her uh um, mad jelly <laughs> and like uh yeah just just the well i did give you um when i went to that convention i'm pretty sure like i got some husband stuff signed by her oh, and yeah. the husband's people and i got that to you i gave that to you yeah. where is that i i don't know like i mean that was like what no yeah three domiciles ago for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's i mean it's it's oh god i totally forgot it's, it's definitely gene espenson wrote a um a web series i don't know if she, did she direct it as well I don't think she directed it. I think right. she just wrote yeah. and created. Jane Espenson created a web series in um, tw- early 2010s. Yeah. Because um, it was 2013 when this happened. Uh, but, um, and uh, it was about a gay couple called Husbands. And. Uh, it's so fun. Yeah. And, um, and so when I went to the convention where I met her and also Amber Benson, um, they were, uh, uh, that was kind of one of the big things that she was uh, that she was promoting, and uh, she was like signing just the stuff for uh, and talking about whatever with anybody, and so that was awesome. And uh, the girl that I was dating at the time, uh, we both kind of like thought, you know, Harrison would love this, Aww. so um, that we ended up getting like a. I'm pretty sure it's just like a little like kind of postcard like, with some art on it. Of I thought it was like a little comic. Like maybe not, it was. Like a, it wasn't like, like maybe I have the postcard. Um, but yeah, it was like a little comic that was, uh, and and like uh, we got like both the stars of Husbands and Jane Espenson to sign that. So for listeners who want to check it out, it's so cute. It's early 2010s, and it's like where gay marriage was not yet legal in all of the states, but like wherever it's set, it was, and it's this actor. Uh, named cheeks uh played by an actor named cheeks mm-hmm. um that's like his like stage persona and then this uh like baseball player who had only recently come out of the closet and they've been dating for like a month or so and get like drunkenly like vegas married or it's not in vegas but like but they elope yeah they elope like in a like very like on a whim but they're like oh like gay marriage has only recently been legalized where we are and we like this became this very public thing so we don't want to like get divorced because we feel like that'll be harmful so they like decide to make it work and they do and it's cute and it's funny um and it's very sweet uh and amber benson uh is has a guest appearance as a um member of one of those like shitty like moral majority like groups it's like it's definitely it's a parody of like one million moms yeah um so it's so funny seeing amber benson as this like raging homophobe (laughs) so um did i tell you what amber benson was like mostly promoting it was her comic that she wrote no no not a comic a book series oh that's right yeah it was um i can't remember the exact name of it 
but she wrote a book series um, about, I believe it was the daughter of the devil. Oh, and, um, I want to read that. Yeah, I, well, I, I got the first book and she signed it. Um, it's a little awkward because she signed it to both me and the girl I was dating at the time. <laughs> and um, after we broke up, um, when I was kind of going through my books, I saw that and... I don't know, maybe you could say this is, like, uh, lame or not, but I ended up, like, crossing out her name. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm keeping my opinions to myself yeah. uh, to protect the innocent. Um, um, but I think it's fine. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, but, yeah, you know, um, back to the back to the episode. <laughs> guys will be guys. I'm yeah. giving this episode um, four Bernadette Peters <laughs> out of five. Yeah, I'll give this episode uh, four vases filled with blood <laughs> out of five. Um, yeah, this is this is just such a fun episode. Um, it also does feel like it, it's nice to have a Wesley episode, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's not like, oh, hey, let's make fun of Wesley. It's like Wesley gaining confidence yeah. um, without like a lot of like huge dramatic heft to it. It is a nice fun episode it's got so many funny moments in it and uh and yeah i like it a lot yeah and we're heading into some darkness so it's it's... yeah the slight spoiler alert season two of angel can get rough yeah all right let's get out of here all right except i'm staying here because i live here yeah thank you for joining us on booze and buffy we will be back next week Buffy Season 5, Episode 7, Fool for Love, which is part one of... I smell a crossover! Yeah, but not a a traditional crossover. I would call it a structural, thematic, spiritual crossover. Does that... I mean, so maybe like a toe-over? A (laughs) toe-over, yeah. It's, um... Definitely is an event in uh, for both shows, but and it's it, like it is a crossover, but done in a very cool, uh, non-traditional way. And I'm so excited to get to talk about these next two episodes. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. Yeah, uh, I'm Jason. You can find me on Instagram at yamij357 or on Twitter at just plain old yamij. Mm-hmm. And I'm Harrison. <clears throat> I'm Harrison. <laughs> Cracked there a bit. I am Angel. I'm Harrison. <laughs> you can find me on Instagram at Harrison Alexander Kaufman or on Twitter at Harrison Kaufman. That's spelled C O F F M A N. And uh, I'm taking a break from it for the moment, but you can check out my back catalog of horror reviews on horrorbyharrison.blogspot.com. And uh, you can find us on the Facebook, the Instagram, and the Twitter at booze and buffy or you can email us at booze and buffy at gmail.com in all those cases the and is spelled out a n d and don't forget to subscribe to us and rate and review us on apple Podcasts or spotify now hey, allows hey. you to rate and review uh podcasts yeah, yeah. um or wherever you get your podcasts please and each week we like to give a shout out to a worthy charity or nonprofit. this week we're highlighting crisis aid international since 2002 Crisis Aid International has had the privilege of serving in East Africa to restore the lives of malnourished children, provide access to clean water, food, and health care, rescue young girls from sex trafficking, ensure emergency disaster relief, and more. 
Crisis Aid International has served more than 2 million people in 11 different countries and counting. Visit www.crisisaid.org for more information. And as always, go pretend to be your boss. And don't drink the blood. (laughs) Be gay. And be gay. (laughs) Bye. Bye.